Hello, pop culture theologians. Hi, John. Hi, Marcy. How are you? Or should I say Dracarys? <laughs> Dracarys. Although I'm so used to hearing Danny say it, and so hearing the new characters say it is so triggering to me. But nevertheless, we're here talking about our favorite we're show. Back. John, we're back. John, what season of Pop Culture Theologians is this? I am really excited because we just finished season nine. Um, but now with House of the Dragon, we are in season 10 of Pop Culture season Theologians. 10. And we will be hitting what milestone during this season? 100 episodes. What? I, I vow to be drunk during that entire episode I don't I don't care which one it is hopefully it's not the finale but I I vow to be my best self I, I I'm so excited thank you all for coming along this journey with us 100 episodes uh we started off with the purge we have made our way through everything <laughs> from Handmaid's Tale Westworld Game of Thrones John how, how Tiger King that? huh tiger king tiger king we did tiger king we've yes. done we've done the hunger games john have you recovered from game of thrones now that we're going to jump right back in there is a tiktok that summarizes i think my feelings it's like i'm super excited but then i also have to then relive the trauma of the previous seasons specifically the last season because that's really where the show just said you know what all the fans but <laughs> and i will still never ever ever get over what they did to daenerys agreed and i hope that that's not what happens in the books but those books will never be finished so i'm not too worried about that <laughs> but anyone, ultimately i think we've got something here marcy and i think I, we've got I, something we got I, something so, so i do want to say for anyone who is waiting right for Book six and six and seven of Game of Thrones. George R. R. Martin did tell the New York Times this week that The Winds of Winter and Dream of Spring, uh, one, will be very different than what we saw in HBO's Game of Thrones, and two, that he has no plans on writing them. I don't think those were his exact words, but it was pretty clear that he's just not working on them. Um, I I just, I can't, I don't even know what to say at this point, right? Other than um, I'm not buying the fancy set, Barnes and Noble, no matter how much you ask me to, because I think this is going to be an unfinished, uh, like, I, I think it's going to be an unfinished story. And if you ask me to end it with, but an often Weiss's ending, well, that that's not how I work. I'm Latina and I hold on to my grudges forever. But I am really excited to be here with House of the Dragon, because John, is this is this based off of my favorite George R. R. Martin book? It is. And as I'm very happy about, the book is done. <laughs> this book is finished. There is no one, there is no one who's going to come in um, and drastically shit all over the story because they got bored and thought they were going to be writing for Star Wars. Um, I'm not letting it go. That really is what happened when we look back at this time uh, in film history, TV history, like that is legitimately what happened. Two white dudes with probably one of the largest and most impressive portfolios ever, right? 
in TV history were like, but Star Wars and then shit all over um, a billion dollar uh, project, right? Like it just makes no sense, right? Isn't that like uh, after also like they started working on that like show that was like super racist, like, oh, what happens if the South uh, won or something? Yeah, no, I, it was just, it was a dark time. It, like what I think it predates, does it, it predates pandemic one right I think yes. we're in pandemic 12 right now but like so it's blurry right we all have brain fog which I think helps HBO like we all have softened the edges of our fury but um but no that was these were these were dark times Harry um these are dark so, times Harry yeah. <laughs> very excited about uh the fact that we went with the show based off of fire and blood um I think it's important to note that this is the second um, not the first, the second of the um, prequels. The first one was starring Naomi Watts. It was about Old Valeria and the original folks, Old Valeria, which we'll touch on a little bit in our um, commentary, uh, $30 million on the first episode and it was cut, the most expensive um, pilot ever to have been made and then shelved. Uh, not surprising with the news coming out of HBO and the WB this week, but still when we think about $30 million for one episode and they were like, no, I don't think so. And I actually think they made a really good strategic decision because we're we're back in the Westeros universe here, right? Like it is just close enough that like it feels almost like we get to slide back into one of our favorite places. Sliding into those DMs. Sliding into those DMs. Um, but it's just different enough as well that it feels new and fresh and we don't have to like totally relive our, our trauma of the final season. Um, unlike Game of Thrones, which like we said, never finished, who the fuck knows, you can still write fan fiction and it may still be accurate. Um, this is done, which means do not Google. <laughs> do, not do not Google. Fire and blood if you do not want spoilers. Um, we are going to keep this obviously a spoiler free as much as we can. Um, podcast in the sense that we only podcast on what we're watching on the show, having both read the books. Um, but here's the thing. If you Google, they will come. Like it is all there. It is all there. That's what she said. Sorry. It was like a belated joke, but it was in there. Um, so yeah, I think it was a wise choice to go with this one. We're back in the Westworld universe, right? It's the same team. Sapochnik is directing this one, which I was really excited about. He directed a lot of my favorite episodes from seasons past right um the costuming team john were you paying attention like the fabrics have like literally stories like woven into them the final um, scene of the episode where she's putting on that outfit oh just to die for um i've said this before i am obsessed with um costuming and the stories told by cinematography costuming all of this right and um the team that HBO works with for this world is just unparalleled, unparalleled. You can get um, spoilers literally in the costuming details. Uh, so, so keep your eyes out for stuff that is woven into the fabrics, um, right? And literally. Literally. We also have a dragon heavy world, which I think if you had said to us 10 years ago, when we first started, imagine if like every episode has like 16 dragons, we'd be like, how about we don't, <laughs> right? Like we don't have the CGI to hold up to that. Um, I'm doing like a fist pump to Harry uh, 
riding the dragon out of Gringotts. Um, some of the, like, just like some of these like iconically bad dragon images, right? Daenerys burning down King's Landing, not the best CGI, not the worst. Um, the CGI in this first episode was stunning. So like, can I, can I just have a moment? Yes. So I just want to say, as someone who had COVID recently, um, well, back in June, right? And I decided to torture myself and really see, because I knew we were going to be doing this. So I rewatched all of Game of Thrones. And I will say that the, the Bells, that episode where yeah. you mentioned what Daenerys does, I have changed my mind about in a way because I see her for her and all I did was focus on her acting. And that's why, and we're going to get to this when we actually start talking about the episode, the dragon scene, when the dragon flies over Westeros and people are like, oh, whatever, versus the dragon scene when she flies over Westeros in the in Game of Thrones and they're all freaking out. You really, that was a nice touch, Game of Thrones people. There were a lot of nods, I think, to Game of Thrones in this first episode that if you're paying attention are important. As someone who also just recently had COVID twice, twice, because I got rebound COVID. My husband is actually laid up in bed with COVID right now um, because why not? Why not Panini number 12? Um, I also rewatched before this and I, I, I stand by how we talked about the episodes and I stand by the fact that the story of Danny was not done justice, but that Danny herself is a character that I will stand by forever. Right. Um, so forever. forever, just forever. And this helps flesh out a little bit of our love of, of Danny and kind of that itch we had for more with her that we never got because we're about to meet her whole fucking family. And when I say whole fucking family, I mean, they're all fucking each other. This is an incestuous nightmare of a story. So buckle up, everyone. Uh, we're going to break this down. We are not doing political intros this season because there is so much happening. However, we will drop one, one an episode. Uh, so this one is, if you live in Florida, go vote tomorrow. It's the primaries. For the love of God, please prevent. Uh, DeSantis from becoming president, please vote in our local elections. There we go. Moving on, John, I think it's time that we go back to Westeros. Well, we're back. <laughs> and we are back hardcore because we start off, um, like I said, getting a little bit of Danny in our blood because we're getting her family. Uh. Right. I love her. I know the, the amount of platinum silver weave uh, that must have been gathered right by this team is un, it's just incredible. Right. Uh, we start off this episode meeting Jaharis, the first that Scrooge looking king who we know is actually at Heron Hall. Right. The episode opens at Heron Hall. It's burnt the fuck out. So one of the interesting things about where the story starts is it starts two thirds of the way through the book. So if you want to know why Heron Hall is literally still in, like smoking, um, you're going to have to read the book. Uh, but it is being held at Heron Hall because it is the largest uh, castle that could hold everyone for this very important meeting, right? So he is the fourth king of House Targaryen. So we have gone through four kings in the book when, when House of the Dragon starts. 
right? He's the fourth king in the Westeros dynasty. Um, and it's the year 101. And he has no sons, John. And what happens when kings have no sons? Well, um, the women get screwed. <laughs> that is legitimately a very good answer. We have a problem and uh, we are all here to witness him fixing it. I do want to note that Sapochnik actually said that this episode and I think the next one work as um, almost like preludes to the story, right? We are in a preface. We are setting the scene, right? Um, so we've got a king, Scroogey looking Jaharis. Um, he's got no right right I was waiting for him I was waiting for Bob Cratchit to come out yeah like tiny Tim to be like um please sir may I have some more um no yeah what what a what a look um like girl needs some moisturizer (laughs) it was a bad weave uh so he's here to fix his son problem so he's he's sitting on the throne which has gotten very rococo if i may what's what coco <laughs> rococo is the architecture that versailles had where it's a little bit much right I, rococo is, oh god can we rename is, this episode <laughs> it's so much this the throne is surrounded by just it's chaos right like this is the throne we imagined also this is fan service this is the throne that is described in the books consistently it is a tetanus nightmare hint hint and i love that we get to see it right so he's sitting there he has his granddaughter rainies on his left right she's the eldest daughter of his eldest son who is dead because these people be killing themselves from page one to page a thousand. That's how this goes. She's next to her husband, Lord Corliss Valerian, who is gorgeous. He has these white dreads. He's known as the sea snake and we'll talk more about him, but I love them, right? So here's one option, Rainey's his granddaughter. Um, she has the highest hierarchical claim to the throne, right? She does. And I just want to shout out to Eve Best, the character that plays her, because she was my favorite character in Nurse Jackie. I could not figure out where I knew her from. Thank you. Nurse Jackie. And remember, she leaves, spoiler alert, and it's been out for a year, so I'm not even going to say that anymore. She's my favorite character in Nurse Jackie, and she really held the show together. And when she left, you know. Totally. I have brain fog, so I don't remember anyone anymore. Um, so then we have on Jaharis's right, his grandson Viserys, who is the eldest son of his second son, right? Uh, with his wife Emma, who is pregnant. So I read somewhere uh, a really good columnist, I think for Vulture, was like, we need to really take in that Rainey's is the George of the Windsors and that Viserys is the Archie Mountbatten of the Windsors. So, like, it really is kind of, I guess like Charlotte would be the right equivalent. Um, right news is Charlotte. She has a higher claim by, by birth. Um, but that's not how this works. Right. Right. That's not how any of these stories work. Um, Rainey's has her claim, but being a woman, it's a no-go. And even though George R. R. Martin loves himself, women fighting for power, literally all of his stories are about women, even when we think they're not. This is still Westeros, right? Westeros. Viserys is next in line. He has big dick energy, Ned Stark energy. And the council uh, decides that he gets the Iron Throne. 
that's that's how this works it's literally we have to wait like a solid like five minutes for the ark of the covenant to bring work i know i was like what is this like what are they bringing in and then i I like um regarding like how they were all meeting like every show because i'm also doing a rewatch of like lord of the rings right like you know when the trees meet in the forest to decide like really it's going on like i'm like god what is going on in these shows it is a fantasy nerds like summer, man. Cause like we're we're about to be up on um Lord of the Rings. We're finishing Westworld. We've got new Game of Thrones. Uh the new Hunger Games movie is starting to and the get only it. reason I'm going to go see it is because Viola Davis is the bad guy. I know, I know. All right, so here we go. We we have a king, Viserys. Um, and I think what we what we need to remember from this specific scene is something Scrooge himself says, which is the only thing that can bring ho- down the house of the dragon is what, John? The house itself. That's it. That's it. Um, which honestly is a pretty good line to live by in general. The only thing that's going to take you down is you. Like, like get yourself together. <laughs> All right. So then we transition to like, I think it's seven years later. Uh, Princess Rhaenyra, who is the daughter of Viserys, rides in on my beautiful golden bibid dragon, Cyrax. I am obsessed with the dragons in this book. I know them like the back of my hand. Uh, the era of dragon riders has entered the chat. Like this is a very specific type of fantasy that Game of Thrones just isn't. The, the Song of Ice and Fire books have dragons, but they're not dragon books. These are dragon. This is a dragon story. So these these dragons are characters on their own. Um, Renera rides Cyrax, golden beauty, baby, powerful, sleek. Right. We're also living for the Danny reminders. It's like she's with us, right? She- it's like she's there, but like she didn't have an amazing saddle. She rode like. Yeah, she, she really got like the like shit end of the knowledge stick when it came to riding dragons like we're watching we're in the dragon pit right like we're 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 where we've been before, stunning but we're seeing it the way it was intended right um so like i think this is a theme we'll see throughout house of the dragon which is um the old made new the new made old right you know, I'm like looking around is the ghost of Bran the Broken around, right? I don't know how time works with Bran. For all I know, he's a fucking raven in this episode. Like who, who the fuck knows? The only thing we do know is we are 172 years before the events of Game of Thrones, before Danny, and before the great betrayal of House Weiss and House Beninoff. 172 years before our queen uh, comes into play. So. Our queen, Danny, our queen, who always will be, always forever. Ugh. But I'm going to say, I'm kind of digging our girl here, Viserys' only living heir. I feel like she's like a bi-energy queen who has spent like her entire life kind of living with the like, I'm not the male heir vibes, right? But she's she's not that traditional like, fuck, man, I wish I was a boy. Um, she's like funny. She's strong. She's a little bit defiant when she's talking about her position. She's also content with it, right? Like, it doesn't seem like she's particularly like, oh, I'm going to have to fight for my spot, right? Which is very different than I think the the impression we're meant to get from her Aunt Rainey's, right? And I do get the big bi energy of her. And I just want to say Millie Elcock, 
who plays the character is playing just so perfectly incredible she's like there's a restraint in how she's playing her that is amazing to watch right yeah and I'll be honest like it's this is this is a little rare right I think we can only remember it in like maybe episode one before Caitlin talks to John but she seems to have parents who care about her and each other right aside from the fact that it's like I need a boy her mom seems to care significantly about about her um her dad however has a brother, Damon, played by Matt Smith. Uh, how did were you excited to see? I feel we've covered I, the crown, so like I was like, oh, here we go again. I mean, I love Matt Smith. I think he's great. He was a, an amazing doctor. Um, he was great in the Crown. Uh, you know, a little bit. You know, that sex boy British hunk that we're seeing, but he's playing him really interesting here, and so I'm really curious to see the character development because for this episode the women really stole the show um and i think that's ultimately how the series will play out but the men here are like playing like checkers and i think the women are playing chess in a lot of ways but you know i'm I'm curious to see where he goes yeah so an interview with george um himself george my buddy um damon is his favorite uh, male character in the books And, and he says it's because like all of his characters they're complex and they they are not good or bad they just are who they are right kind of like Jamie kind of I think so um and I think we we see this significantly right but he does feel kind of like a modern spike from Buffy right like he's this black sheep he's his whole life he's been assured of this incoming crown because there is no baby right and on top of that his brother loves him and we know how badly these sibling devotions turn out in in Martin's world right so like I'm just like uh he has a blind spot like Viserys has a blind spot to to Damon right and Damon is like the opposite of a hustler but he has had a ton of jobs in King's Landing right um he's been the master of laws but he apparently did not abide by them so that didn't work out he was the master of coins but he spent his money like Liberace. Is it too much on, I'm guessing, hookers and blow. Right, which hookers is ironic because we'll talk about that in a bit. So then he becomes the commander of the city watch, uh, which he kind of leads like, like a Dexter. So like he's like mutilating and killing baddies in a way that doesn't feel right. Like it's very violent, but also he's like, what they're, they're rapists, right? So there's that tiny complexity that is like, Oh, well, I mean, okay. justice. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not gonna fight you on it, right? Um, so so I think he's a complicated man for sure. Probably one that we will all have a very complicated relationship with, similar to very good example, John Jamie. Um, because Marcy, you know where all the secrets are buried in this series because you read the book. Well, it's not, it's not that, it's just he. George George has never written a character that is a straight line, right? And and I think that is why for most of us who love his writing, regardless of what he's done to us, it's that we find shades of ourselves in all these characters, right? Like I remember we got a lot of folks on Twitter uh, when we were covering Game of Thrones being like, how can you love Cersei? And a part of me was like, how could Forever you- Forever our queen. Right, right. We had multiple queens, right? But how could you not? 
Like there was, there was so much to love in her awfulness, in her complexity, in her vulnerability. Damon reminds me of Cersei significantly. So we'll see what happens there, right? But what we do know is like Rhaenys and uh, Viserys, Rhaenyra and Damon are kind of parallel candidates for the throne, which means they're complicated, but they're also kind of like sexually complicated and like a Danny and John kind of yeah, it's, way. it's real. It's it's real hot and heavy <laughs> between them. It is. I what a friend of mine said. You just need to forget everyone's related because it doesn't work, right? I like, I had to, and at a certain point, I realized because you mentioned how they have like you know, her mother and father are like, they seem really loving together, right? Like he's, you know, looking yeah, at her, but they're <laughs> brother and sister. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, interestingly enough, um, we didn't cover this really early, but uh, uh, Ranieri's, uh and Damon, right? Uncle and niece, but Rainey's and her husband are a really good example of what happens if there isn't a, a sibling, for a Targaryen to marry, right? So Rhaenys is married to Lord Corlys, right? Who is from old Valeria, right? Um, so he has the blood of old Valeria. That is the only option for a Targaryen if a sibling is not available. And that if is super iffy, super iffy, right? <laughs> like if. if, if by some chance your mom has not died giving birth to a sibling that you can have sex with, these folks from the old town with the old blood, though they do not have dragons, but from the old old town, purest blood, right? You can marry them. That that is an interesting way to talk about, you know, Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire. All of this is based off of the War of the Roses, right? And just the unimaginable links people went to keep the bloodlines pure and how dangerous that was, right? Um, so yeah. Yeah, we've got a parallel situation just a couple of years later of some some complicated throne rights. But anyway, that's going to get fixed because Emma, the series's wife, is pregnant and it's going to fix everything. Right, John? Nothing horrible is going to happen. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, she'll be fine. Um, I will say that this episode kind of happens... Uh, in pieces that are scene setting, but they're really just prepping us for the glow up that I think is gonna come in the next two episodes. We've got council meetings, right? We've got Viserys lashing out on all these like people that we need to just know and having us meet them in small council meetings is smart. So we've got Otto Hightower, uh, who is the hand of the king. Um, I love him because he was Spike from Notting Hill, the roommate. Um, it's Rise, what's his name? I never remember his name. Uh, Rise Ifans, right? Is that his name? Yeah. Uh, so we've got Otto Hightower, Hand of the King. He's believed to be loyal. We are told he is very loyal. And we know when we are told someone is super, super loyal, that they must be super loyal and they have nothing at stake. He's also really loud about how much he hates Damon, which I think- I think Hates. I mean, he, he can't stand him. Um, to be fair, I don't trust people without eyebrows either, but like, come on, like hide yeah, it a little never. bit. Maybe. Yeah, like like do what like everyone does and just draw them in. Just, just paint them on, man. Uh, Lord Lyman Beesbury uh, is the master of coin. You may recognize him as the dad from Fleabag. Um, and then we have our resident daddy, Lord Corliss Valerian. Oof. Uh, 
Rhaenys, who, like we said, married to Rhaenys. He's also the master of ships. Um, he, and why he, is that? He's known as the Sea Snake because he's a fucking baddie who literally has traveled everywhere. And if does you, baddie rhyme with daddy? He's a daddy. He's. I'm obsessed with him. I was obsessed with him in the books. He is a traveler by name. He literally has stories of having been everywhere. Volantis, the Vale, all these places that we then, like a shy, right? Places that we know in Game of Thrones as like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Danny went there. But during this time, right, a hundred and something years earlier, very few people had gone, right? So he's just like, or he how a shy is supposed to play a, a bigger part in the books, but then the series completely forgot all about it. But <laughs> I'm not bitter. It's all right. I understand where you're coming from. Uh, we also get introduced to Grandmaster Melos and Lord Lionel. Uh, Lord Lionel Strong, who is the master of laws. All the jobs that Damon has lost, right? We're meeting everyone who's replaced him. And um, they're planning a tourney, right? So a tournament. Uh, you're going to see a lot of nods to the Renaissance here. Uh, and that matters because Game of Thrones is post uh, a Westerosi renaissance, right? So this is the golden age of Westeros. And here they are planning a tournament, right? And we kind of get some flashbacks of the, of, um, the Baratheon tournament gone wrong, right? Um, but this tournament is in honor of this unborn son that has not been born that will fix everything, right, John? Men solve all the world's problems. <laughs> um, I will say George R. R. Martin writes women um, so well, right? He never writes them without agency, but he does do a lot to talk about their positional lack of agency. So those are two very different things, right? Um, what you can do and how you are positioned in a situation are very different. Um, we have this really powerful scene and I think this is powerful in and of itself, but also in light of 2022, the reversal of Roe, uh, our conversations on bodily autonomy and self-determination for women. We have uh, Queen Emma telling Brenera that the discomfort that she feels as a pregnant woman, right? That's how we serve the realm, right? And she says, we have royal wombs and that childbed of ours is our battlefield. And every part of me rejects this conversation. Well, and, and so does Danny. That's why I think we're supposed to be like, okay, still bitter over this ending. Well, well let's just kind of go here. Well, and Renera even is like, well, but here's the thing. She's not wrong. I tweeted about this last night. Um, uh, she's not wrong. And uh, so, you know, we do pop culture criticism. So we, we mix in the real and the not real, but in a world before birth control, in a world before reproductive decisions could be made by women, the childbed is the battlefield. The childbed is also where men uh, gain power and, and women birth it, right? And so like, there's something very unnerving about this truth that she's telling, which is, I, this is, this is where our power and our absolute helplessness happens all in one place right so for 20 and what's happening in our current world today with women being forced to carry oh it's just I, it's just a what an episode right like with to come out right now when we are living this so powerfully and we'll talk about that scene um with queen ama in a in a bit um it's just a very transgressively honest conversation that women die in service of men's search for power right 
right? Like it's just, it's very powerful. It's transgressive and it's modern. And that is the power of good fantasy, of good, of good fiction, period. Good fiction tells the stories of us, a people, right? In ways that we can process them. And I think this scene as a woman who is still of, of reproductive age, um, though I feel like a crone, um, it feels like something. Like it felt like, brute, like if, it felt brutal to hear it, right? So then we have what I think is a beautifully directed scene, which feels like a dance. And I think I'll be mentioning dances a lot um, because I think there's intentional direction of like, um, almost like intertwining scenes, like the way that they twist taffy so that we kind of get lost in the, um, in the melding of the narratives. So we have attorney. John, have you ever been an attorney? Have you ever gone to like, what's that place that you used to go to in the nineties? Medieval times. Oh yes. I the the problem with me and going to medieval times is I get so wrapped up. Was it too much for you? It's too much. <laughs> and I remember at some point I was screaming, cut his head off. I y'all don't like if you don't know. I John, was that scene in Gladiator with the thumbs. Yeah, no, that's I just I I I totally you see it, it right? I see you, I do. Um, my only experience with attorney is also <laughs> at medieval times, and all I can remember is my mom complaining that we did not have forks and knives. But um, so we have this intertwining of this attorney and its brutality, and Emma's childbirth and its own brutal fucking misery, and it is just the most powerful commentary I've seen on the way in which violence enters men and women's lives, right? Um, and then I also have to say that um, though you and I are not husband and wife, I'm just gonna imagine us as Rainey's and Corliss providing commentary to everything because they, they're they just watching the tourney like snarking together. And I'm just- They like, are. Yes. I'm like, that is what I aim to do to have in this life and I have that with you you and I just sit on the internet watch shit and then just chit chat and kiki uh to our heart's content while everyone dies in front of us and throw shade at that's all we do that's that's us that's we we, that's us um but again so women are both those who wield the most power right both physically and also in the stories that we have lived in with Game of Thrones, we've got Cersei, Sansa, Danny, right? Like, and we are about to watch women really come up to play in these uh, in this story, right? George R. R. Martin's world is a woman's world, but damn, if cutting up Queen Emma is not one of the most brutal scenes, I, I think I, I think it surpassed uh, some of the ones from from Game of Thrones history for me, but not with a visceral disgust. Um, when she LA- realizes what hap- what's happening, yes. that's the that's the part for me. I was re- I got salty with the LA Times on Twitter last night because they were like, "How Game of Thrones pulled off this barbaric like absolute like," and I'm like, "Game of Thrones." I'm like, "I'm sorry, but we're doing that in real life." Yeah, we're doing that in real life right now. We have women with like rotting fetuses, like sitting in beds waiting to die because they cannot get the medical care that they need right like like at least this this husband was fighting for his wife's life right there were no rules they were like cut that fucking baby out right um so this scene while absolutely brutal 
right, is is just, I, I think one of the more powerful ones we've seen in Game of Thrones history with the use of violence. Like, and we're meant to understand because they keep coming in and out of the turning, right? Here are men choosing to dress up in their fancy ass costumes, right? Their costumes, right? Choosing to die, right? Versus women in these like blood drenched shirts dying with no choice at all, right? And like, that's kind of, it reminds me of that joke, like, what are men most afraid of being laughed at? What are women most afraid of being killed by men, yeah. <laughs> right? It, it's the difference of positionality with violence that the that men and women have, right? That I think this really just the scene, these intertwined scenes do an amazing thing with. And to also just mention the game is like, understanding she really looks at her husband and she goes this is it dude like yeah. this has been her life and you know the thing about the targaryen you know women right is that you know even when you think at you know aemon targaryen and all of those individuals in the original that came over and destroyed everything or took over right they married he married his two sisters and they had children right but ultimately you know they were badass warriors at the same time right so i i like to think of ama as like a warrior too in some ways but you know it's really traumatizing yeah she was honest with her daughter and was like take it in like take it in right and with her husband you're right she was like hey this i'm not making out of this like my body is like fucking done like she had like 10 kids well, and but when she realizes like what's about to happen, it's that visceral part of us that that rejects death as we should, right? Um, that just those screams, right? And they are playing right as Rhaenyra and her BFF, AFF, always and forever, Alicent Hightower, um, which I just think is how Allison is spelled by Mormons in Utah. Like they're tossing their garlands, right? To the jousters. They're like literally celebrating death, right? As her mom is is literally dying. A, a, a death not that dissimilar than being gutted, right? By like the jousting. Um, so just overall, like a really discombobulating bit of scenes, right? We get flirtation between Alicent, Rhaenyra, Damon. We've got we've got some Dorn up in there, right? Dorn, um, uh-huh. And they all recognize it. They're like, hello, sir. Well, no one turns down a man from Dorn, my God. Um, but yeah, just uh we have lost a queen, we've lost a child. Um, and everyone's at the tourney. That's that's how it works. So let's talk a little bit about Damon. So Damon is a mixture of emotions, <laughs> but he is this year's winner of toxic masculinity. Congratulations, Damon. Congratulations. I wrote like the dirtiest line, but I feel you like you did. It. And I'm a public official, so I cannot say this, but you can. He's like the jizz that created Andrew Tate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Like it's just like a fucking ancestor for real. He can't even keep his dick hard. Which again, the ancestral line to Andrew Tate is impeccable. Um, so we know that Damon, I'm so glad my parents don't listen to this. I really am. Granted, my dad just discovered podcasts. So hi, dad. Oh, uh, boy. Hi. 
reply. Um, he spends all his time at brothels. Um, someone check on Lena Wilson. We did get to see Matt Smith's ass significantly. So she's probably really pissed off about it. Um, he's kind of just like an angry, flaccid nuisance, but like in that way that all of us like broken women and queer men are like, I can fix it. I fucking hate that's true, but it's totally true. Um, like all of the unwanted brothers in Game of Thrones, he does have a favorite at the brothel, uh, Missaria, who, if I remember correctly, I think she's Nagini from uh, Crimes of Grindelwald. I'm the same pretty sure. And, and she's incredible. She is incredible. And she... I cannot remember her name. I'm so she sorry. She has performed in a lot of stuff. I have Sonia, Sonoya Mizuno. Incredible. Um, she's just got this look where I'm like, I get it, bro. Um, I totally get it. However, in a terrible lack of judgment from this man who is a pillar of all things upstanding, Damon, having learned that his brother's wife and child have died, right, um, decides to like fucking give like a really awful speech at the brothel with tons tons of people watching tons. um what is he called the dead baby oh the it's air for air the for day. the day right the air yeah. for a day and here's what's so interesting that feels pretty low stakes for game of thrones but not for viserys it was like the one line too far well he with- lost his he lost everything he, he says he lost everything, right? I mean, <laughs> Renera's right there looking at him, so like not everything, but I get it. Um, but it is finally kind of like this thing that makes that thing click in his head of like, I cannot continue to defend my brother. We, I feel like this is a succession moment, right? Where like everyone looks at their like sibling and is like, oh, one step too far. Even though we know there was never one step too far. Um, especially in I- that show especially in succession. But I will say that Damon doesn't seem to actually anticipate how bad this is going to go for him. Because Viserys- well, men have no consequences. That's very true. Cancel culture, what? Yeah. Uh, uh, please don't cancel us online. Please don't cancel. No, well, you're still here. So no, no one's canceling us. Um, Viserys, I think, has that moment. And he decides to resolve the succession issue and also tell his brother to fuck off, right? By sending him back to his wife. Like that's his punishment. He's like, where is his wife? Right? Apparently she's so ugly that he'd prefer to have sex with the sheep on the mountains next to his house. Um, I forget where he, where his like, kingdom's not the right word. The veil. Is it the veil? Yeah. His wife is in the veil. They married him off to someone in the veil. He's related to boob child lady. Um, he, I'm surprised he doesn't enjoy people like throwing people out the moon door. But um, in a really kind of grand speech, right? Viserys tells his brother, like, you know, I, it's enough. Like, I've made so much space for you. All these things, like, um, you could have had it all, right? We were rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. Um, Damon says something that Viserys doesn't catch right? And he says, I have your back. Like, you are blind to how people will use you. And here's what's interesting. He's telling the truth. So him being like, fucking air for the day died. Totally shitty, right? But he is also telling the truth when he's like, the only person here who is looking out for you because there's nothing at stake is me. Like, he wasn't rooting for that child to die. He really wasn't. 
Um, I was your said, biggest fan. <laughs> I know. Like when he's like, they're going to use you. It's like, bro, they're about to send their daughters in to sleep with you. Hello. Right. Um, but and that's the thing that they both aren't, they're both talking at each other, but past but each other, past each other. Um, which is why it's just, we, we stick with female rulers. And I'm wondering if anyone has ever tried having a female, um, like hand of the King, because it might work better. <sighs> but, uh, Viserys decides that's it ceremonially anoints Rhaenyra as his heir apparent in a really huge ceremony at the Great Hall with multiple houses that we recognize. There's a lot of fan service. We, we hear names that we love, right? Pledging their- Rickon Stark. Right. Pledging their allegiance to her reign as successor. Uh, Damon uh, is like, fuck you. Fuck everyone. He does still love- uh, Renera, like in this as an uncle and as a lover i guess uh i don't know it's just it's, it's blurry right um he doesn't hate her but he's upset at his brother and he is sent to the veil he takes off on his dragon caraxes who looks a lot like drogon he's huge powerful black and red gorgeous piece of meat uh, he he leaves with miss uh saria uh fury that he will deal with uh on another day right? Like we just see him go off dramatically. And we also see her take that moment, not that dissimilar from women we've seen in Game of Thrones, where she makes a decision to attach herself to a dangerous man with a dragon. Like, we'll see how it plays out for her. I'm very excited to see. The dragons seem more like dog-like in this series though, in so many ways. Like they don't, like Danny's dragons seem so big and vicious and like huge these ones have like extremely long I mean, it, necks they're weird i mean i don't know they look a little different gold, to me. it is the golden age they were bred very differently right they were bred for targaryens there was uh they were already starting to to lose dragons so there were less and less dragon eggs there were less like from the days of old valeria to today um today being where this episode there's already some concerns that they're that we aren't getting as many dragons they're not as big as they used to be um so you're actually your observation is actually entirely correct these dragons should look a little bit more feeble than the absolutely magical we have no idea how she did it um birth from her fire of the jj and that's dragon. what i remembered them when i saw it and i'm going to be watching for that as the series goes on yeah so the there is a dragon scarcity problem that that is going to hit the targaryens um, and actually, we're about to talk about that um, with this kind of final scene that, that um, takes place in the dragon tomb. But before that, we just have to give a, a few seconds to, we get a beautiful scene of the burial of Queen Emma, right? It reminded me of when Tristan is sent off to see him burned in Tristan and Isolde, which is one of my favorite um, burial scenes in a movie. Uh, he doesn't die, she does, but still. Um, I love the name we have, Tristan. Th- that's I. You would. <laughs> <laughs> you would totally fall for someone named Tristan. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I definitely would fall for someone yeah. named Tristan. Yeah. Um, so Emma's being ceremonially burned. Um, it's uh, we can practically feel Danny when Renera calls for Cyrax, right, and says Dracarys. but she says it differently than Danny, and I think this is intentional for us to step into this new 
world, right? We are leaving behind Daenerys Targaryen. We are stepping into the world of Rhaenys Targaryen. And even the way she says it is different, but it's like a parallel moment. She steps into her power, right? And what's interesting is Damon is the one who tells her to step into her power, to have that moment, to like that, like assurance from her uncle that it was time is again, a reminder that he's complex, right? Because she's his competition at that point for the for the throne, right? Um, and then in a twist that should shock none of us, but ew, what does Otto Hightower do? <laughs> Otto Hightower sells his daughter off like, cattle oh, to so to the king Viserys. i mean you know yeah. to Viserys. i mean he ultimately is like hey because otto hightower and for those of you that would choose to read the books or know a little bit about the character is incredibly smart and machiavellian and all well, sorts and of things this scene starts with him calling for his daughter to come in to comfort her because she had lost her mother and Ama was like a mother to her. So when she, when Alicent comes into her dad's chambers, it's, she's got tears in her eyes and he holds her and he comforts her. Right. And then legitimately within like what, like a solid five seconds is like, all right, I think you should go put on one of your mom's dresses and go comfort the King. And it's like, I'm sorry, what? like of course and what it's so awful right because she's a child and she also makes it really clear like she's like I wouldn't even know what to do aka I wouldn't know what to do right but she's like you said she is a piece to be played in a game but she also and there was a part of me that saw it knows she has to play this piece Yes, I would say that this, she reminds me of, I wrote this in our notes, Marjorie Tyrell. Yes. Figuring out exactly how to survive at King's Landing. Do I think that it sucks that like she is being sent in to, to comfort the king who basically was married to her mother figure, who was like a, a second father figure to her, is the dad of her BFF, AFF, always and forever, right? Awful. But am I in awe of how quickly she figures out like, survival and what she needs to do 100 she puts on her mom's dress she knows he loves history so she grabs a history book right and when she comes in she knows he's he's like playing like he can like he's like has like a model he's like playing with like a model castle he's like carving out like the future of king's landing and like she shares about her own experience when she lost her mom how she felt like everyone talked to her in riddles and all she wanted was for someone to say hey I'm really sorry about your mom right and like that is the type of strategy that Marjorie used so well because the truth and empathy was always there it was just strategic right so it was like almost like um, a friend of mine calls it like strategic yielding right there are times where you have to pay the coin right? And you don't have a choice, but you're strategic about it, right? So coming in with the book, um, dressing up with a dress that would run, that would be reminiscent of an older woman, right? And saying the right thing. Like, I mean, it is like an ick 3000, but like a powerful moment. Also, I, I'm, we're going to just leave it at that, but I don't think you all have to wonder too hard how, how much this moment in time could complicate a story about needing a successor, right? So then we move on to our final scene, 
we finally at the end, we are down in the tombs uh, where the skeleton of uh, one of the largest dragons that escaped the doom of old Valeria is, right? We, we remember Tyrion talking about the, the skeletons of the dragons um, underneath uh, King's Landing in Game of Thrones. Um, clearly it's a sacred place, right? It's lit by candles. It's in remembrance of this kind of like who we are, but also who we were, right? That dragon is way bigger than the ones we've seen. That dragon is huge. Huge. Um, and Viserys- Absolutely huge. Yeah, huge. And Viserys lets uh, Rhaenyra in on, I'm going to use secret, but I, I think it's kind of like- the. And it's Balerion the Dread. There we go, Yes. Um, which is how they got dragons out of old Valeria, right? Like, I think the origin of the dragons we know today would be the dread, right? Um, but Viserys lets uh, Rhaenyra in on the lore that has been passed down from king to heir since they got here, right? So this is the equivalent of what Queen Elizabeth gets in her red leather boxes every day, right? So he says to her when when he came to Westeros, King Aegon, again, you just have to read the books, y'all, because like we can't go all the way back, had a dream and he foresaw the end of the world of men. If you're feeling Game of Thrones-ish, it, it, you're correct. This is it. This is it. He says, it's to begin with a terrible winter gusting out the distant north. Aegon saw absolute darkness riding on those winds and whatever dwells within will destroy the house of the living. When this great winter comes, all of Westeros must stand against it. Dun, dun, dun. dun. <laughs> like, this is, it's interesting because I can hear my brother who is probably not still listening, but if he is, hey JP. Um, like we've talked a lot about what these prequel shows um, do well and what they struggle with and one of the things they struggle with is the stakes right like you look at Obi-Wan Kenobi like I couldn't really feel anything because there was nothing at stake I knew exactly who would live and who would die right um, so it's interesting to have this like you know premonition like dream from Aegon that we know carries a significant amount of weight 172 years later right but somehow it doesn't feel like it fucks it up for me because like it is so far removed from the fight for the throne today right and yet I understand how a person hearing this with the throne in con being contested would be very worried about like the fact that like this is what he tells her next a Targaryen has to be seated on the Iron Throne to unite the realms before this great winter, right? So I get it. I get why you would be anxious that a Targaryen needs to sit on the throne. I get it. Um, but for some it's reason- like your sole duty. Like that, that's like it. you're not only to produce heirs and do all of this stuff, but you have to do all of these other things right. to make sure that this occurs. And I feel like I've read a lot of royal biographies and they talk a lot about the mystique of the royal family and how like the royal family's greatest job is to continue to like perpetuate have the little mystique. prince and princesses and to have the mystique the mystery right like one of the like famously historically mis big mistakes right that um prince philip ever had was the documentary he made on the royal family which made them look normal as shit and everyone was like why the fuck am I what, they're not they're literally eating tv dinners like what and that documentary and they're like simple 
their, their, their symbol. And that documentary has literally almost been erased from the face of the earth, right? It does not, like, you cannot, you can find pieces of it, but you cannot find it. It's never been aired again, right? And so what's interesting is she gets this thing of like, hey, there's a, there's a great winter. Uh, we've got to be on the throne. And just so you know, Aegon called this his song of ice and fire. Okay, a little cheesy. Da, da, da. A little cheesy, right? That the secret is the song of ice and fire, which is just this premonition. I still, in my own canon, think that that's what Sam called his book, detailing everything that happened. I think that's a better writing. And George, if you're listening, like this is, it's, it just doesn't work for me, but um, whatever, it's fine. But here's what, where my connection to the Windsors happens. He tells her this huge thing, right? My phone. He tells her this huge thing. And instead of that being the focus, he's more interested in her answering one question, which is talk to me about what you see when you look at the dragon too, right? And well, she wants like, to know like she has it. Right. Like there's something magical about this moment. Right. And he pushes her. And, she, and I think like, I think the wrong answer would be like, we are, we are celestial beings, right? Uh, above everyone else, right? And that's why we have dragons. And instead she gives an answer that I think is correct, which is um, it's the pomp and mystique without the dragons, we're nothing, right? And we're just ordinary. And that's like the church, right? It's just it's like the, the church, church. It's the Windsors, it's all of it, right? It is a it's fundamentally- a moment where she shows that she is capable of understanding the game. The game is not riding in on a dragon and burning everything. The game is everyone knowing you could do it and not doing it, right? It's, it's, it's the mystique of being the dragon rider. It's not the dragon rider. And also it's maybe never even seeing the dragon. That's the thing about right. Danny and the Targaryens right. in the Game of Thrones universe is that they all remembered, but no one actually was still alive to see a dragon at that time. Um, you think about the allure and everything that it claims to be. That's why Danny is still powerful. So, that is so insightful. And like that is is very connected to. So we should be seeing a coronation sometime in the next, like, I'll be real generous in the next 10 years, right? And if she's still alive in oh, 10 years, um, just like, to spite, I, uh, we still believe it. We've said it in our recaps, but I think that she just doesn't want him to be king and she's going <laughs> to outlast him until he dies. But here's what's so interesting. I, you know that I'm, I, I study Catholicism, right? There's a bunch of rituals that go into pap the papacy, right? Into Pope making. Um, and some pope of them are making Pope making. They're really silly right? They're really fucking silly. And if people saw them happen in real life, they'd be like, this is embarrassing. Like, this is like playing dress up when we're a kid. When, when Charles becomes king, if he becomes king, there's literally rituals that I think people can't even fathom. There's one where mystics take him out and they like literally say ritualistic, like, um, like druid prayers before he comes to honor the late history of England before he comes in and like there's like the anointing of God's oil all this bullshit right and here's the thing what's interesting is Queen Elizabeth is the last of the believing queens she actually does believe that she is um, that we know of right based off of interviews history that she is put here by God as queen we fucking actually know based off interviews that Charles does not believe that but he will be going through the process because the process matters, right? 
Um, do I think he can pull it off? No, uh, I think it's done. But it is very important when we're talking about Rhaenyra and the questions her dad is asking, where he's like, hey, we may be in danger, but also the game of thrones is fundamentally to know what game you're playing. What game are you playing? And she's like, I just need to always be on top of the image of like the dragon riding queen, right? Like we are the dragon riders, we are the powerful and like we don't play the way other folks play. And you're right, like proximity to the dragons. We don't like, there was something weird, right? When John rode a dragon. Cause we were like, no, 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 no. Only Targaryens ride dragons, right? Obviously we, he was a Targaryen, but like there was something special about Daenerys being the only one with dragons. There was something special about it all over the realm, them being like, she has dragons, dragons. Dra no one had even seen them, but her power increased 3000 fold, right? Um, so, so yeah, I think it's really interesting that that's how she passes the test. And then the again. moment she had them, people started to become much more scared. Right, right. And it's also why in that moment when she fakingly pretends to sell them, right? Um, Which is one of the best scenes. One of the best scenes of Game of Thrones, right? Um, the, the panic, right? Of like, you, you don't understand. They're priceless. As if she doesn't know. She's like, uh, um, do you know who you're talking about? Nothing to her name. But these three creatures that she birthed herself in fire, however they were birthed, right? Like, like she doesn't know. So I love the parallels of understanding the power and mystique of the dragons, but also what it says about rulers and, and supremacist systems today. Um, just a couple of things to note before we close out the episode. The series does tell Emma when she's in the bathtub, by the way, mad props to HBO for keeping her boobs covered with uh, the milk water. We appreciate that it. We appreciate that it. progress. Um, she, she is told by her husband, our son will be born wearing Aegon's iron crown. And I hear thundering hooves and splintering shields and ringing swords. And I will place our son upon the throne as the bells of the grand sept toll and dragons roar as one. So we know this son does not make it, but prophecies are not introduced into the world without them having any power at all. So let's hold on to that in our back pocket. So that's the whole first episode. Nothing happened. It's a Nothing real happened. boring show. Um, and it's, I think I everyone's going to make it out alive. Yeah. And I really don't think we're going to commit to this. Like we all did to game of Thrones, like 12 years ago. Like we would never fall for it. We would never crash HBO max again, again during the finale. Like we would never do this again, but here we are y'all. Why? Because we love being suckers. We love being hurt and we are ready for it. You know, I, I would have thought the pandemic would have taught us that, you know, not to be <laughs> To just be. to be smarter but here we are i've watched the episode twice already I i'm too. obsessed i pre-ordered the funkos what? right i did oh yeah i pre-ordered i have two so many of you know i have a hoarding problem organized hoarding but i have way too many funkos and i cannot allow myself to to buy them Does, should i send you the links after we finish you should definitely send me the links after yeah. this is done so we will see you all next week. Uh, this has been so fun to be back in Westeros, to be back to scheming. Um, y'all, as someone who has platinum blonde hair, John, you do too this time. I uh, My Targaryen uh, roots. Make decisions wisely. 
because your hair will fall out. Do not let this show do what Game of Thrones did to me, which was convince me that this was a sustainable habit. I mean, I have it, but it's not great for your hair. But what a fun time. What a fun time to come back to Westeros. Pandemic 12. So exciting. Can't wait. Uh, We'll see you all next week. We'll see you all next week. See you next week.